Thank you to our worship team as well. Uh, wonderful time of worship and praise. Uh, appreciate it. Well, good morning, everyone. So good to see you all here this morning. My name is Eric. Uh, I'm the pastor here. If you're a first-time guest, I want to offer you a special welcome. Thanks for joining us this morning. And uh, we're finishing up today a sermon series, a teaching series called Lord of All. This has been about seven weeks. Actually, we took a break for two weeks, so nine weeks in process to finish up this teaching series. And I'm very, very glad to be finishing out this uh, reflection on what it looks like for Jesus to be Lord of everything, to have all authority in heaven and on earth and how that impacts our lives. Well, I just got back from an eight-day vacation to Washington State where there were six adults and eight kids under five. So we, have, we were visiting some friends there, and uh, we all have little kids, and we all had a fantastic time. Uh, but, you know, there's that old saying that uh, distance makes the heart grow fonder. And uh, that is very true. So I'm very, very glad to be back with you all. Um, I missed, missed this congregation. I missed New Life, missed the staff, um, and missed gathering together with you. And so I'm really, really glad to be back to finish off this great series. So over the past nine weeks, with a two-week break, we've looked at seven different teachings surrounding this idea that Jesus is Lord of all. And we started way back on May 1st, when we had our baptisms here during this, sermon, uh, during this service. Way back on May 1st, we looked at the life of Saul, or as he was later known, Paul, who had this experience meeting the resurrected Jesus while he was traveling to a town called Damascus. We call it the Damascus Road experience. <clears throat> and in this experience, Saul went from not believing that Jesus was anybody of consequence other than a rabble-rouser and a rebel to recognizing Jesus as Lord, that he was in fact crucified he died for our good, for our sin, to cover our sin. He was resurrected from the dead and then ascended into heaven and now is seated at the right hand of the Father and holds all authority over all things. And the way that Paul talks about then the Christian life and a couple other spheres of our life, he talks about the Christian life being one of Jesus giving us authority then over a little peace of what's called the kingdom of God. So Jesus is Lord of all. He holds all authority in heaven and on earth, and he gives some authority to, for example, political rulers. So nations kind of have some authority, and they practice some authority. And then he also gives some to all people that they have some authority. And then for Christians, he gives this special authority to oversee and to cultivate and to rule over their spheres of influence that is in a way that is congruent with Jesus being the king. So you may wanna think about it like this. If Jesus is the king, we're kind of these prince and princesses, not in a Disney channel, right, like, like pretty hair singing songs way, but that we have this kingdom, this kind of like little section. It's not our own kingdom. It's part of the kingdom of God, but Jesus has given it to us to rule over. Another way to think about this might be that we are dukes and duchesses. Go Dixon, right? That we are dukes and duchesses, that we've been given this little corner of the kingdom of God to cultivate and to work and to make sure that Jesus' rule is done well there. 
And so we looked at, we've looked at six different areas. We've actually looked at five, we're gonna look at one more. We looked at five areas so far, but there are about six areas that I've identified are major issues in our life that Jesus has direct authority over and gives us some pretty clear instructions on how to rule our little corner of the kingdom of God uh, by way of his authority. And that's family is a big one, finances, health, work, church, and our neighborhoods. So we've gone through most of these, and the last one we have to look at is finances. So today we're going to explore how Jesus is the Lord of our finances, and this is actually the first time that we're gonna go to the words of Jesus to talk about this. Paul actually has a lot to say about the other areas of life. He has a little bit to say about uh, money and finances, but Jesus has a little bit more to say than Paul talks about later in the scriptures. So we're gonna look at this one teaching of Jesus that I think is really important for us to understand in our current time where we are now. So we're gonna look at this teaching of Jesus. But I head into this time with a little bit of trepidation and a little bit of reservation because money is kind of a sticky issue, isn't it? We don't really like talking about money. We don't really like talking about our finances. And then on top of that, to hear a pastor, a spiritual leader, talk about finances maybe causes us a little bit more worry because there are a lot of pastors and there are a lot of spiritual leaders who are charlatans and just want to milk people for money, for their own good. So I understand standing up here as somebody with authority in this church, in this congregation, that this is a very important role that I play, and I do not take that lightly. So I just want you to know that as your pastor, I love you, and I do not want your money for myself, okay? I wanna start there, because there are lots of pastors and spiritual leaders who are frauds and charlatans and will try to milk you for everything that you're worth. And so what we're gonna do today is we're gonna look at the scripture, we're gonna stick pretty close to the scripture, and just like 12 years ago when this church was founded, it was founded on two very simple, basic principles. One is that the scriptures are the authoritative word of God, and two is that the Sock Valley needs a Jesus-centered church to partner with other Jesus-centered churches in our area to spread the gospel to more and more people in the Sock Valley, amen? So that's what we got started on 12 years ago today, or not today, 12 years ago, and that's what we're gonna continue to do today. So we're gonna stick real close with the scripture, we're gonna reflect on what Jesus has to say about finances and about resources, we're gonna dwell on that a little bit, and we're looking at this passage in Matthew chapter six, which is right in the middle of this very long teaching that Jesus gave called the Sermon on the Mount. It's quite a famous teaching, and the Sermon on the Mount's really cool. Is this kind of like wide-ranging uh, series of teachings that Jesus gave on the side of this mountain. He gave a similar teaching in a different place, and we, and we read about it in Luke, and that's called the Sermon on the Plain. And these teachings he probably gave several times. So Matthew does this nice thing where he sees this one time that Jesus kind of gives all these teachings at one time, and he just collects them and puts them into this one section for us. So we can kind of get this idea of all these different teachings that Jesus probably went about and gave throughout his ministry, and Jesus gave them all at one time on this mountain, and so we kind of get this nice, compact, like, teaching of Jesus. It takes about three to four chapters to get through all the content that Jesus taught at this time, and right in the middle of that is this passage about 
money? Is this passage about resources and finances? And so that's what we're looking at today. So this is kind of a drop-in of this larger sermon about the kingdom of God. That's really the big message in Matthew is about the kingdom of God. And so Jesus enters into, in chapter six, he begins to teach about money and he begins very plainly. He says, you cannot serve two masters. You either love one or hate the other or you hate one and love the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So he kind of lays it out real plain. You either serve God or you serve money, you cannot do both. And then he says this in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? This is the, one of the first, first sentences he says about money. And then he says something really similar at the end of this teaching. And so that tells us it's important. If Jesus starts with it and ends with it, it's kind of an important lesson that we need to learn. <clears throat> so if we jump down to verse 34, this is what he says. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Let's bounce back to verse 25. So Jesus begins and ends his teaching this way. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry. This is a pretty plain, simple command. Do not worry about your finances. Now, I was talking to someone in between services, and I said, you know, there's a lot that could be said just about this, this little, short little command here of Jesus. Do not worry about your life, about your finances, but we live in a culture that teaches us the exact opposite of this. We live in a culture where our security, our hope, um, our politics, our philosophy all have to do with money. Jesus' command here is do not worry. News media, politicians, the, I, all the bigwigs who are telling us what to believe, you know what their message is? Panic! Panic! Gas is $5 a gallon, panic! Social Security's going away, panic! The Dow is down, panic! We are told again and again and again to panic about money, to panic about resources. And then we have a promise. Just elect this person or trust in this business, buy this product, and sure enough, all of your panic will go away. It's a fraud, okay? We are told to panic, and Jesus commands us, do not worry. Do not worry. Because life is so much more than having nice things. And something that I found very interesting is I've, uh, you know, just watch people live and experience it myself, experience life myself, is that it really doesn't matter how much money you make or how little money you make, somehow we always seem to fill up and spend all of our money no matter what, right? So it doesn't matter if you're making $30,000 as a teacher or $300,000 as a CEO, somehow we have this ability 
to fill up and spend all of our money. It's amazing to me. And so, yeah, we may not have all the same things, but we have the same kinds of things. Some things are just nicer than others. We always seem to be able to spend all of our money. And Jesus gives us this command, do not worry. And the reason that we do not have to worry, the reason he commands this, is he tells us that we have a loving father who wants to give us good things, who wants to take care of our needs. Just after this passage, it's actually one of my favorite commands of Jesus. He says, look at the birds. He commands that to his disciples. Go outside and watch the birds. Go birding. And as you watch the birds, the birds fly around, they find food, they dig up worms, they make their nests, they have little baby birds, they go about their business, and they're not worried about tomorrow. They don't store up extra for themselves. They just get their food, they have their babies, they go on about their life. They always have enough, and they never worry. And then Jesus says, if the birds of the air have everything they need, how much more will God take care of you if you are his beloved child? There's a promise here. You will have what you need. You may not have what you want, but you will have what you need. And again, our society is set up in such a way that any sort of like downtick in lifestyle quality is considered a major issue. Moving from a home to a townhome is considered a step down in lifestyle. Well, I don't have my own yard and I can't cut my own grass and I, see what I'm saying? It's considered a step down in lifestyle. And Jesus is challenging us to think about this another way. God will always give you what you need. It may not be what you want, and it may not be nice, but he will always give you what you need. Because our life is more than our house, more than our vehicles, it's more than our hobbies, it's more than all the things that we get to enjoy, it's more than food, it's more than being able to eat out, it's more than traveling. Life is more than those things, and we are not guaranteed those things. But everything we do have is a gift, a gift from a gracious Father who loves us, who will always make sure that we have what we need, just maybe not what we want. So that's a pretty hard thing for us to ingest. Because again, our culture and our society tell us the opposite. We have a culture in our society who tells us to keep accumulating and getting more and getting new things, trading in those cars, get the bigger cars, the newer cars, and then we invest all this money, we spend all this money on things that are probably unnecessary. And then when we have to step back from those things, when things get tight, like gas getting $5 a gallon, or we hit a recession, all of a sudden we think it's terrible that we can't afford our mortgage or we can't afford our car payments. And we consider it a step down. Jesus is challenging this. Do not worry. Life is a lot more than that. That's the first point. Do 
not worry. Do not worry. God will give you what you need. And then Jesus has this second thing to say. That's what he says. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This is after he talks about the birds of the air having their food and the flowers of the field having their, gra- or having their clothes, right? He says, these things will be added to you. And he says, but strive first for the kingdom of God. Strive first for the kingdom of God. So this is the second point. Everything that we have, all the resources that we've been given, it's just our little corner of the kingdom of God that Jesus has entrusted us with. So our money is not our money. It's God's money. He's giving it to us to have authority over and to practice his authority over our little corner of the kingdom. Some of our corners are really, really, really very small. Some of us have bigger corners of the kingdom that he's entrusted us with. But all of it is a gift from God. And all of it is meant to be pointed toward the kingdom of God, not for our own good. Strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and your needs will be taken care of. So just like a couple weeks ago when I talked about health and I said that we have all this freedom to do what we want with our health, but we restrict our eating habits and we eat well and we take care of ourselves so that we can do more good to more people, That's the, this is the same principle. God has entrusted us with this certain amount of wealth. You know, and there are some people, I like, I like to say some people have the spiritual gift of making money hand over fist. It's like they can't help but make money left and right. So some people are given quite a big amount of resources. Some of us are given uh, just a little bit of resource, but all of it is meant for us to live within the means so that we can do good for others. This idea of the kingdom of God is central to the gospel of Matthew. This is Jesus' primary declaration. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's right there. And Jesus goes about enacting the kingdom of God throughout the three years of his ministry. And he heals the sick. He cares for those who are marginalized by society. He casts out demons, and he proclaims the good news of the forgiveness of sins. This is the kingdom of God. And as we read later in Acts, as we read about the early church and their response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, their response to Jesus being crucified, resurrected, and ascended into heaven, you know what they did? They immediately started gathering together in their homes, and they began worshiping and praying and singing songs and hymns to each other. And it says that they had everything in common, and no one had a need among them. The very first disciples, their response to the gospel, their response to this good news that Jesus is Lord of all was to immediately create these, what uh, one scholar calls colonies of heaven in a world that is dying. They immediately begin gathering together, just like we gather now, and in the community of believers, there was no need. There was not rich and poor among them. If anybody had a need, it was met. People sold their property and sold their homes in order to meet the needs of all of those who needed it. They protected the marginalized in society, the widows and the orphans. 
And in fact, much of the Roman Empire, this is a couple hundred years after uh, Jesus was ascended into heaven, the Roman Empire began offering social services to orphans because the Christians were making them look bad. That's true. The Christians were so good at taking care of widows and orphans and those who were poor that the Romans were like, we better start doing some social services too because those people are making us look heartless. That's how good they were at this at first. Everything was in common. They sold what they needed to, they gave what they needed to in order to be this colony, this colony of heaven in a world that is dying. You see, the very first Christians, they saw that their existence was to literally bring the kingdom of God on earth, to be this pocket of the kingdom of God right where they were. And so they, there was no Jew and Greek. There was no rich or poor. They were one people where all needs were met. I think that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. Strive first for the kingdom of God. Be the community this colony of heaven in a world that is dying, this colony of heaven where all needs are met, this place where new creation is enacted now, where the sick are healed and the poor are taken care of, where the widow and the orphan have a home and a safe place. Be that place and your needs will be met because there is plenty to go around for everybody. Now that may mean you don't get to have as nice a house as you would like. You don't get to have as nice a car as you would like. It may mean pulling back and restricting what you spend in order to leverage more of your resources for the good of others. In order to bring in those who are homeless into your home, to bring in foster children into your home, it may mean that you have to adjust your lifestyle, reduce what you spend in order to give more. That's what this is saying. Strive first for the kingdom of God. Because to be real crass, in order to heal the poor, to cast out demons, to care for the orphan and the widow, to be a home for the homeless and a safe place for the marginalized, to be real crass in order to do that, it takes money. You need money to do that. And so the community of believers gathered together and they pooled their resources in order to be this place where the kingdom of God meets earth. And as I was praying about this scripture and thinking about it, as I've been uh, kind of pondering, uh, as I've been away on vacation, just the pondering and praying and thinking about the congregation here and our work here, um, I'm filled with so much hope and so much joy for what I think God is moving us toward here at New Life. Because I want to see New Life Lutheran Church be a colony of heaven in a world that is dying. To be a colony of new creation in a world that desperately, desperately needs Jesus. Because we're at a place now where we are 12 years old, we have this beautiful facility, we have all this land, and if we want new life to continue on 100 and 200 years, we're really only 5% into the life of the ministry here in New Life. That's it. We've just gotten our toes wet so far. We have a long history of ministry yet to be done. And I want new life to be the place where people can experience new creation. 
I want new life to be the place where the homeless are given a home and the foster children are given a home. I want new life to be the place where those who are marginalized and unsafe have a place to come and be safe, a family to be a part of. I want new life to be the place where young children are brought up in the faith and are cared for. And that's why we're partnering with this school, with Sock Valley Christian Academy. And I'll tell you what, between partnering with the school and there are some times, if you guys remember last summer, there was at least two times we had more kids in this service than adults. And our 800 square foot children's wing is not big enough. To be real crass, if we're gonna be a place where children are proclaimed the gospel too well, it's gonna take money. To be real crass, if we wanna be the place where, especially after uh, this the ruling of the Supreme Court last week, we Christians can put our money where our mouth is and we can serve and love those mothers and children and those children that are brought into the world. We can celebrate life and we can care for those who need the resources. I want new life to be that place. I want new life to be the place where moms can drop off their kids, can get parenting classes. I want new life to be the place where families can come and get the toys and the food and the resources they need to pay their rent. I want new life to be that place. And to be real crass, it's gonna take money. It requires money to do those things. And as we gather together as the people of God, and we are this colony of heaven here on earth, we're called here, demanded here, to strive first for the kingdom of God, to heal the sick, to house the homeless, to bring in the child and the widow and the orphan into our homes. This is the call, the command of Jesus, to be this place where hope and healing is found. And he says, do not worry. Do not worry. God loves you more than the, the birds of the air, the flowers of the field. Seek first the kingdom. Leverage your resources for the good of others, and the rest will be added. You'll have what you need. It may not be nice. You may be driving a clunker. You may be praying on your way to and from work, but you'll have what you need because you'll be building the kingdom of God. You'll be resourcing young people to hear the gospel. You'll be resourcing mothers and babies to be cared for. You'll be resourcing God's work here on earth to build new creation now to experience heaven now. This is the promise. So that's the second idea. That's the second main idea. Strive for the kingdom. Leverage your resources for the good of others. Restrict what you spend so that you can give more. And all this will be added to you. You will be taken care of. I've already seen, I've witnessed it with my own eyes, acts of amazing generosity for those who are, um, those who are in need. Acts of generosity from families that don't have a lot of money themselves uh, to give to those who have almost nothing. I've seen it happen and it's beautiful and it's good and it brings glory to God. And I want new life to be that place. I want new life to be this colony of heaven in a sock valley that desperately needs Jesus.